Blog Talk Radio. topics sometimes, sometimes some fun topics, and I have a funny feeling that today is going to be a combination of both. I'm Heather Stark, your host, and with us we have Lily Kasura. Lily, are you there? Yes, I am, Heather. Hi. Okay. <laughs> Don't make me nervous. You, were <laughs> you made me nervous there for a minute. Okay. And then we also have Rosie. Rosie, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Okay, great. Thank you, ladies, for joining us. What we're talking about today is women veterans. And Lily has uh, an eclectic background, and um, prominent uh, among the most, the forefront of those is that she's a prominent journalist. And uh, stories that uh, are published all over the Huffington Post, and uh, she also, is, like me, has returned to school to try to get a better education or a further education, and so um, you know she she has she comes at uh, her her perspective is from those those standpoints. And Lily, you have done a lot of reporting on veterans, women veterans. Why the interest? Well, I think it goes back to the advocacy piece, really. So. Um, Years ago, probably 11 years ago this month, I started the first website about combat veterans and post-traumatic stress disorder. And that was sort of before social media, but it became a big deal and a lot of people knew about it, and that was great because it was, it was intended to really fill a gap in the resources that were out there. And then when Facebook was created, I kind of migrated to Facebook and through it got to know an awful lot of veterans who knew about the website and things like that. So as part of the people I got to know, I got to know a lot of people who were in the military sexual trauma survivor community. So they had experienced what the Pentagon sees as a whole spectrum of uh, everything from harassment through gang rape, essentially. It's all grouped under that one MST uh, rubric. So as part of that, I went through a fair amount of education with some of the most important, you know, most prominent survivor advocate types. And it was kind of like a chance comment of one of them, um, a woman named Susan Avila-Smith, who's really well known and just a fantastic person. She basically told me about couch surfing. And that was something, I mean, it sounds cute but I really didn't even know what it was. And she explained that of the thousands of women and male survivors, but she was particularly talking about female survivors, how few of them had really been able to go on and hold jobs and kind of regain any sense of normalcy and safety in their lives. So it's a little bit different from civilian life, and I was interested in why it was different, and particularly what this couch surfing thing was all about. And she basically said that at the time she would tell let's say, women survivors of MST to get to the VA and tell VA that they were homeless because they were doubling up in someone's home that wasn't their own, staying with friends and family, sleeping on a futon, staying on a spare couch in the living room, something like that. And she would explain that it was difficult to sometimes convince them, hey, you, you are actually homeless. But during those years, that was part of the federal definition of whom a homeless veteran could be. And so by going to VA, 
they were able to avail themselves of more services and more benefits that were really, um, you know, matched to their situation. Now what ended up happening is the federal definition of that changed and it pushed couch surfing out of the definition, which predominantly affects women veterans, as it turns out. So when I went back to grad school in social work, I had to do a policy paper the first semester and I thought, back to what Susan had told me years ago, and I thought, I wonder if there are gender differences in how uh, veterans experience homelessness. Let's take a look. And I found that there wasn't much research at all, so I could read it all, which was neat. And what I found from it is there were enormous differences between how women and men experienced homelessness as veterans. And I started writing about it, and I started investigating it with women veterans as kind of subject matter experts on it, putting together a big survey that went out and asked all kinds of women veterans across every era, what were your experiences with unstable housing like after you left the military? And that has just kind of catapulted into this major, you know, journalism and social science project on the topic. And it introduced me to Rosie and to Bridgette McCoy, who may be on the call later, uh, both I, well, have, I think Bridget is on the phone right now. To tell you the truth, okay, Bridget, are you are, are you are you with us, Bridget? Yes, yes, I'm with you. Um, I'm cell phone, and I'm, I've got some background noise because I'm at an event. So, but I am here. Well, I can mute you from here. So if it gets bad, I'll mute you, and then when we're um, uh, when we're talking to you, I can unmute you, and then that. Uh, but right now, the the background noise is fine. I, it's not distracting at all. Okay. So we also have, so thank you for joining us, Bridget. And we also have Rosie. Rosie, welcome. Yes, thank you. Ladies, how did you meet, let's start with you, Rosie. How did you meet Lily? I met Lily on um, a Facebook group called Service Women Who Serve. Okay. And um, it sounds like you've developed a relationship with her. What what is that like? What is you what what is your connection um, besides your service? Well, we we interacted through this Facebook page, and then we became Facebook friends. And then when Lily was investigating this subject, she started asking me questions about it, and we'd get into in depth discussions about it. Great, I get I get. Heather, go ahead. Can I jump yep. up here and kind of explain what went on here? Cause now okay. On, Since we have three women on the line, I, identify yourself. Just say this is Lily. Okay. okay. This is Lily. So I'll explain how this happened. Did that policy paper found out there were substantial differences between male and female veterans in how they experienced homelessness, and realized that how the federal government figures out how many people are homeless in order to get them services and you know estimate the funding is they do this point-in-time count where they go out in the community and they sort of eyeball, are you homeless, and eyeball, are you a veteran? It's super imprecise. And from what I had learned from my study, I realized that women veterans would absolutely not be found that way. And so I went from wanting to volunteer for the count two years ago to immediately thinking, how do we actually draw women veterans out of the woodwork where they are couch surfing and things like that and get them counted? And I put that question out on the page that Rosie is referring to. And in 24 hours, I had 400 responses from women veterans who had something to say about it. And I thought, okay, this is a hot topic. 
So I grabbed Bridgette, who's definitely a subject matter expert and had been thinking about this herself, and she helped me phrase questions to put on a multiple-choice survey, essentially, built the survey in record time, and got it out on a link distributed through social media. Two women veterans of every era, tell us about, did you have any experiences of unstable housing after you left the military? And particularly, did you try this, that, or the other thing? And through kind of crowdsourcing this with Bridgette and then testing it with Rosie, and she really appeared as a subject matter expert on a lot of the legalities of it and the types of housing that are out there, I felt like I had a really good team to take this forward. And there were other women veterans and advocates who jumped in and got this distributed. So in social science, it's essentially modified snowball sampling. You go out and you give something to someone who takes it, and then they take it to the people they know, and pretty soon you've got a pretty big reach. But it really has to be moved enthusiastically in order to have that happen. But that's how I got yeah. to know Bridget. I knew Bridgette already because she's one of the stars of a great documentary about women veterans and service and some of these issues. And then Rosie kind of surfaced as a subject matter expert on a lot of the kind of denser parts of this that are hard to interpret. And they both had lived experience. And they have the benefit of being black and white, which is also important to the picture. You don't ever want to skew it to, you know, this is all like my race because I didn't bother to like pass that. So that's kind of how they emerged, and they've been part of this project, and they've been part of why it's really been able to make such a dent. So that's kind of the the intro to them. Okay. Um, One of the things that um, you published and that people can still access is uh, came out in, well, just recently, G.I. Jane Needs a Place to Sleep, Huffington Post, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that came out earlier this month, and that outlines some of your findings and uh, also puts it in context. So if you'd like to read Lily's article, G.I. Jane Needs a Place to Sleep, Huffington Post, and that's from February 1st, 2017. Let's talk a little bit about the numbers. Are we just talking a handful of people here? How many people are women veterans? (laughs) Okay. 2.2 million women. So... With all this stuff, accuracy is crucial, and VA's actuarial side will tell you 2.2 million women. Their percentage, their numbers will increase over the coming decades as the overall number of veterans decreases. And, and women veterans are the fastest-growing demographic of homeless veterans at this point. How many wow. there are? is subject to all kinds of weird interpretations. And one of the things I'm putting out in this series of articles I'm doing is essentially let's back away from the count because the count is super imprecise. It's more likely to be a percentage of women veterans. And you could probably do more by estimating it that way. Look at the the, num- the percentage of women veterans who've suffered military sexual trauma or who are underemployed or unemployed then you're starting to get more accurate numbers, and it's going to be enormous compared to the numbers that are floated. So I find the number situation to be super imprecise. It needs to be rethought and rejiggered. Okay. All right. Well, the um, and I'm, I'm looking here. The government. I'm, I'm trying to track down my my my. Uh, um, website here, and I'm not finding it. it just, it's just coming up. Oh, the VA, the VA. Um, the VA estimates that in 35 years, there's going to be several millions of veterans because that percentage is going up. 
with the the uh, unemployment, I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is we all know just from reading what we read that there are all sorts of economic and housing and um, mental health and there are all sorts of of fallout that people experience after they've served in the military, depending on their service, depending on where they were, depending on what they experienced, blah, 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 blah. But there are also some commonalities. I'm thinking of socioeconomic, uninsured, um, low income, obviously homelessness. How are these things different between men and women veterans? Okay, I... (laughs) I'm not sure I'd choose those as the things. I mean, for one thing, all veterans have insurance because they're veterans, unless they have a discharge status that pushes them out. So I want to give the other women a chance to talk, but because we're on stuff that I've had to, you know, move through with the front-end loader in all this writing, I I would say that – tell me what you're asking again, because – Okay, who are women veterans, and are they facing situations that are different from veterans just in general? Are there different problems that women veterans face? Okay, definitely. So the reason I wrote this series, and it's going to be a four-part series, and it then is going to show up in a couple big newspapers as well, is because there's a complete dearth of research on what makes women veterans different. And there's also a really strong stereotype that's lodged in people's minds, and it's universal. Ask someone who a homeless veteran is, and they'll never picture a single mother with children or an African-American woman or somebody young who's recently served. They will picture the stereotypical older white male, grizzled, cardboard sign, begging for change in an intersection, lives outdoors, doesn't have anyone with him, and has long-term mental health and or substance abuse issues. And so since that's the paradigm, that's what the research was done around. That's what the housing choices are developed to accommodate. It's a completely outmoded model. And because women veterans stay below the, you know, off the grid and below the radar when they're homeless, they're not seen in the first place. They're not counted they're not understood. And I felt like, and I kind of did this with my website about combat veterans and PTSD, I don't need to reinforce the prevailing narrative. If that's the prevailing narrative, fine. It's already got enough press and support. I need to explore the things that people don't understand about this and help that to become part of the narrative. So that has been my motivation in this. There's a strong connection to military sexual trauma. And in some ways, women veterans who are experiencing homelessness have more in common with their civilian counterpart females than they do with their male veteran counterparts. They become homeless for different reasons, and while they are homeless, they experience it in different ways. So we need to blow up the paradigm, we need to get educated, and we need to transform how services are delivered because this is a population we haven't even known existed or bothered to understand. Rosie, what do you have to add to that? Is that your experience? Is that your lived lived experience that Lily's talking about? Yes. I don't think that people realize that women are more likely to become homeless than their male veteran counterparts or their female civilian counterparts, and that's because 
the risk factors are different for women veterans than they are for men, such as... Um, so tell us about that. What, what do you mean the risk factors are different? Well, when women come home after they leave military service, some of them don't have support systems to come back to. They may be single mothers. They may have aged out of foster care before they join the military. So they don't have a family to come back to. Some women have job skills from the military that don't translate into civilian world job skills, or they have um, issues from, they have trauma issues and military sexual trauma, which is a term the VA uses to refer to rape, sexual assault, and sexual harassment is a big issue for women where they may have post-traumatic stress disorder from that. And some have served in combat and may have PTSD from combat as well. So it's like a double whammy for some women veterans. And that puts them more at risk. Okay. Well, the government, and again, I'm going back to this VA report, the Abe report says that, and at least as of 2009, working-age women veterans um, had a higher labor force participation rate than non-veteran women. And that seems to be counter to what you're saying. Uh, what, what about the employment um, uh, factor uh, for women veterans? Well, when I mentioned um, the non-transferable job skills, I was comparing yeah. them to male veterans' job skills. Okay. But that it, it is still an issue for women veterans, and I think it goes back to what Lily's saying: is how do they come up with these statistics? How do they how do they count yeah. who's working and who isn't working? Are those are those statistics for um, women who are working full time? Because there's a lot of women out there that are working two or three part time jobs who may yeah. may not be counted. Okay. All right. What about poverty? Yeah, that's uh, that's the next one. Really? And that you know, I think first of all, I'd be careful about using any old reports because this is a this is a ball that's in play. And so you okay. want to have them be as recent as possible. Department of Labor does track this issue, as does HUD, as does the VA. And there are multiple places to get current data, but they don't all track the same thing. So there's a fair amount of synthesizing that you need to do. But poverty absolutely increases women veterans' risk of homelessness. And that is part of the risk profile as well. And I'm looking at a statistic here of about how the greatest risk for homelessness appeared to be among young female black veterans with nearly a 40% probability of homelessness when compared to the poverty population and a 9% probability when compared to the general population. Both of these rates were much larger than what was observed among their non-veteran counterparts. So one of the researchers refers to this whole mess as a complex web of vulnerability for women veterans. And I, like that. I think... It would be very interesting to have you talk to Bridgette about what her experiences were, uh, the, almost the deal she had to make to survive this experience and how it impacted her life. Thank you for that segue. Bridgette, are you with us, and can you uh, address what Willie, yes. Willie was just talking about? Yeah. So, so it's, a, it's a multiple complexity type of situation. Yes, there's poverty. Yes, there's some things about not having a diagnosis. 
um, that was meaningful to get help. Yes, there was some issues with employment. Yes, there was issues, in my case, with child care. <clears throat> and so all of these things compounded. So if I keep, people talk about compounded interest, it compounded uh, the situation and then throw on top of it trauma from military sexual trauma. I think a, a lot of times uh, the, the, the organizations that are looking at the data are looking at it from their single lens. They don't have multiple mm-hmm. lenses, and they're not extrapolating all the data together and saying, yes, it's in, there, there's a, a large number of unemployment, and, and so it just needs more training. No, 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 let's take a, let's take a step back and look at, from a bigger lens. While that is true, it is not true by itself. And so in my case, you know, I had all of those factors hindering me. I had medical, undiagnosed medical stuff. I had the uh, uh, underemployed, underemployed was an issue. I wasn't making enough money, even though I had a degree in education, had children um, who were in school. And then I was trying to navigate how to work within the VA system, which was a completely different system that I had never experienced. And so almost 20 years, I didn't even use the VA. I just kind of muddled through. I got used my VA loan for a, a home. I used my VA uh, benefits for um, a school, and I did all of those things. And in that process, started to see myself slipping but didn't know how to reach out to anybody to say, help me. Because there really okay, wasn't anybody. You, you saw your, what, what do you mean you saw yourself starting to slip? What do you mean by slip? I, you know, I was missing days from work, unexplained okay. days from work. I was having challenges with paying bills <clears throat> because of that. I was having, uh, uh, I, I was in a very um, public kind of job. I sold um, non tangibles and it went into businesses, did presentations, and I started having. Uh, you know, these really, you know, sweaty body issues and, and blanking out and not knowing what it was and thinking that maybe I had a heart condition. It was it had gotten to that, that point where I was fainting during during my uh, presentation. So, I, so now I, my work has been impaired and I'm not working. And then on top of that, I'm not getting the type of care and help that I need to help me with my children because people are like, well, what's wrong with you, uh, you know, from a perspective of we will help you if you just tell us what's wrong. And I couldn't tell anybody what was wrong because I didn't know. I had no clue. And so How those long things, was this after you were discharged? This was uh, not even 10 years. It was probably 10 years after I'd been discharged. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't but, something that you were discharged and next week you started having all these symptoms? I had the symptoms. They just were not as intense. Okay. All can right. I, can I jump in here? This is yes, Lily. Lily. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so years ago, a few years ago, there were three movies that came out pretty much within a year about military sexual trauma. There was The Invisible War that talked about everybody. There was Service, When Women Come Marching Home, that Brigitte was in. And then there was one about male victims of sexual trauma, and it's called Justice Denied. And so if somebody wants the big picture on how MSD affects veterans' homecoming, watch one or all of those, probably not together because it would be way too much, but you'll get, you'll get the big picture on it. Brigitte had a really awful experience with sexual assault and sexual harassment in the military that culminated in 
what what sounds like um, a physical beating in which she came to afterwards. And this is talked about in the movie, and she's talked about it publicly in other places, but it left her with long-term health issues, and she wasn't really able to pinpoint, oh, my gosh, this is the military sexual trauma connection that makes some of this make sense. So she learned about that by by talking to Susan Avalos, the person I mentioned earlier, talking to her about resources, and Susan is pressing her, hey, how about this? This is really common. Have you ever thought of that? And that helped Bridgette to kind of put together, yeah, whoa, the missing link. Ah, okay. Okay. Let's go back to your experience then, Bridgette. When you had the realization that that this was, uh, you know, a, a result of your service, what how ready? How readily was help available to you? How, what did you do at that point? Uh, I, I hit another bottom, um, and then uh, had to go uh, to the VA because I, although I had was working at medical insurance, I was too uh, poor to afford it um, to 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 go to the doctor, and so that got me into the VA. And this was around 2007 or so, and that's when they were screening for MST and someone literally asked me was I safe was I did I feel safe and where I was currently and had I ever been in a situation where someone had a, 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 a attacked me or had any sexual harassment things like that and for the first time probably because I had been talking to Susan I answered you know yes these things happened I'm feel safe I feel okay now but I I don't feel 100% safe and I need help and um and it took I'm still in counseling. I'm still uh, getting help uh, for anxiety and and uh, depression and things like that. Um, but it it took about a good year um, to get, I mean, firmly anchored in getting you know uh, counseling, getting some intense uh, services. Uh, and and I had small children or, or children in school, and I so I didn't want to be separated from them. Uh, yeah. and, and I was in the process of being homeless again. So I was one of the people that was cr- considered chronically homeless because from 2003, 2002 to 2012, I was I was continually having uh, situations that were causing me to be homeless. So, you know, the, all of those things became, you know, uh, were, comp- as I say, compounded. And anytime yeah. you have a compounded situation and you don't have somebody doing deep, intensive crisis care, those compounded issues are going to continue to plague the, the individual, and then it's going to spread out into their family. Wow. Lily, I want to ask you um, about how common is uh, Bridgette's experience. But first, we have a caller, and I'd like to go to the caller's question, if you don't mind. Um, caller, are you there? I recognize your area code. Caller from Seattle? Hello? Yes, hi. This is Julia. You're on the air. I'm with Outreach and Resource Services for Women Veterans, and um, I heard about this radio blog today, and I'm calling in. Oh, great. Uh, Have you been able to listen to Bridgette's story and uh, what Lily has done for research? Yes, for the most part. And I'd like to say to Bridget, I'm extremely proud of you for sticking it out and um, 10 years, almost 10 years of near homelessness repetitively uh, certainly will take its toll, and I'm just very proud of you. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Is this a story uh, similar to other things that you see and hear on a, in your work? Uh, yes, it is. Um, Oars for Women Veterans is a nonprofit in Seattle that I started because care at the VA for women that were talking to me didn't seem to be consistent, and uh, it seemed to be if they had certain issues, uh, they were treated as though they were troublemakers rather than um, people who might need a little bit more sensitivity or, or extra care. Um, I'm part of the reason that the VA asks people about their um, military sexual trauma status when they check in, uh, but at the same time, I also feel that that's really invasive just to do on the first time you go to the VA, and many times uh, women may not remember their assault. They may not have reported it, so they may have made all these internal decisions about whether or not they should tell anyone, and quite frankly, they just want to come home and get a job and make ends meet like the rest of us. All right. Well, thank you for that. And, and again, the name of your organization? Outreach and Resource Services for Women Veterans. And I'm Julia Sheridan. I um, started it uh, in about 10 years ago. Uh, I got out of the Marine Corps in 1981, uh, suffering with the effects of the physical effects of military sexual trauma um, and um, if anyone has any questions about what happened to me, I'm okay about telling them what that is. And also uh, the mental effects of it. And I come from a very large family, and within a couple of weeks, I was homeless on the streets of Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I had been given a check from the VA for um, severance pay, or from the Marine Corps for severance pay, and that money quickly disappeared because I wanted to try and save my car and try to save uh, my storage and things like that. And it never occurred to me that the people that I grew up with or that were in my close circle uh, would not know how to, to participate in keeping me off the street. And at the same time, so I, so I think that's part of it is that support system. And part of it is uh, being able to um, – go in and talk to someone about care without a repercussion on your job or on the outside of your life uh, where it could impact you in a negative way. Um, that didn't happen because the government wasn't used to me as a woman and my problems. And I can't say for sure that that significantly changed. I think there are a lot of things that have changed, a lot, a lot more positive things that are happening um, but to me, the issue is partly something that needs to be dealt with while a person is still active duty, whether or not they have um, uh, told someone about their assault uh, or any other injury they have, then I think it would be really important when they're going through the transition process that it take longer, that it be a process instead of just something a week people have to uh, be forced to attend, and then that they would be able to um, absorb the information over time so that they can have a little bit of time to put things together for their life outside. 
because it's a completely different situation. Thank you, Julie. Thank you very much for calling in and sharing that. I want to get Rosie's input on what you have to say. So thanks for calling, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rosie, what what do you um, have to say about our caller's comments? I think that it resonates um, with a lot of female veterans who've become homeless, um, along with what Bridgette said, that sometimes it's a confluence of events and it becomes the perfect storm. Someone, um, they're working and they're underemployed because they're not working enough hours and then maybe there's a health situation that sets them back or they have problems with child care or domestic violence or a divorce and all these things come together. They may have been on the edge for years teetering on homelessness and then suddenly all these things come together and it pushes them over the edge and and they're literally homeless going to a homeless shelter. Lily, is that what your research has shown? Is that typical? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, this is such a big topic and it's really a shame that so few people have even bothered to acknowledge it because it's going to take a lot of understanding to bring out why why it's different. So we can't really look at this just through the civilian lens where we think, oh, yeah, we understand women become homeless too. Well, they're pretty invisible as well. But when it comes to women who are veterans, uh, part of the, the thing that makes this difficult is they tend to be surprised by homelessness. They don't see it coming. And they ask for help very late in the game, as opposed to civilian women. And because there hasn't been a lot of research... Why? Why, do, why are they surprised by that, do you think, Lily? I, th- I think it's partly because of the ethos of being in the military and being taught to be self-reliant and self-sufficient and make do with pretty difficult conditions and keep your head together and keep pushing. Um, a lot of that is really drilled into people in the military. And uh, there's also the problem with people going in at 18 and not having had a lot of life experience with what does it take to, you know, manage all the demands of daily life in the the regular world because they've basically gone from a family structure and high school to the military, which which gives you housing, a paycheck, health care, all this stuff. They have a really um, very strong infrastructure, and then they leave it with basically a, a transition class saying, good luck. <laughs> good luck. And that's what Julie was talking about, the transition class? Yeah, whatever the, the basics are, and they get out, and they run out of money really quickly, or they find out, I mean, that there's some problem, like they'll move someplace to be with family, and then they'll realize that's a traumatic situation and they have to go, but you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of things that can be going on, but you can almost predict it's going to be difficult. And that's part of what we wrap their brain around. Don't pay attention to, this is Bridgette. Um, Okay, Bridgette. When you, when you're in the military, you are, your food is taken care of. Your housing is taken care of. Your clothing is taken care of. You're given a paycheck. So pretty much all of your life subsistence is pretty much taken care of, and you get a paycheck. And then you get out of the military, 
what do you have to do? You have to pay a deposit to get lights and, and, and you know, a deposit for this and a deposit for that. And nobody's giving you the money to do that. Like if you're in the military, you get a stipend for, uh, it's called B, BAQ or BHQ or something like that, um, <clears throat> for housing. You, you, don't, you no longer get that. You're out of the military, that doesn't come to you. And you're not getting a, a, a food allowance and, and clothing allowance and all of these other things for being, you know, wherever you're living. If the cost of living is higher, you just need to make more money. And so all of these things, I think it takes, you know, I worked in banking and finance for a number of years, but one of the things I, I saw that it takes a, a, a while in, in investment to see your, your investment grow, and it also takes a, a minute to see things deplete, deplete in a way that's going to be negatively impactful. It's, it's, the, it's the same thing, but in reverse. And I think that when people, when people go in the military, you don't, you're young. In my case, I was young. I was 18 years old. So no one sat me down and said, Hey, you got to, you know, plan for your future, put $10 away or whatever every month other than for my college education. So when you get out, you're, you're spending lots and lots of money um, especially if you're not new to an area, you don't have credit, so now you're paying a higher deposit for this. If your credit's bad, you're paying higher interest for things. I mean, this is just a lot of things that the way that this system is set up, it, it, if you don't retire from the military, a lot of times you, you, you're almost starting over. The clock is starting over for you. Um, and, and in my case, that's what happened. Um, I spent those four years in the military. And when I got out, I had to start from scratch again. Did you have children, Bridget? I had a daughter um, who at that time was very, very ill as well. And in my case, I didn't get out of the military because I wanted to. I was forced out of the military because I reported sexual harassment. And so, you know, there was no time to plan. And for a lot of people who get injured in the military, there's no time to plan to get out. There's no time to say, well, I'm going to, you know, put away $100 a month till I get out or whatever. It, it, a lot of times it just happens. You're done with the deployment. It's over. It's time to go back. That's it. You know, um, no, you're not going to get to reenlist. No, you know, we're we're drawing down the uh, uh, the troops. So then you just you're at the mercy of you know whatever the decisions are from the uh, from Department of Defense basically. So there's a lot of complications to this. So it's not just an easy, like, stick a pin in it and, and, and solve it in one issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rosie, were, was this similar to your experience? With respect to... Are you there, Rosie? Yes, with respect to how I became homeless. Is that your question? Yes. yes. Um, I would say... I would say Yes, in some ways. Um, I'm single and I don't have children, so I wasn't a single mother. But like Brigitte, I wasn't planning to get out. I was actually planning to reenlist and then started having um, sleeping problems uh, from what was the beginnings of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I decided to get out at the last minute and it wasn't like I was planning six months ahead of time and sending out college applications and job applications and saving up money, looking for places to live. And like Brigitte said, that 
you kind of take a lot of things for granted in the military, especially if you join right after high school. You you go from your parents taking care of you to going in the military, and they take care of you. So people don't even think about health care. They don't think about how much prescriptions cost or co-pays because it's it's all taken care of. They They just go to the pharmacy and they pick up their medicine. They don't have to pay for it. So um, when I got out, I, I worked and I w- had different jobs, but was underemployed. And there's, in some cities, not a lot of affordable housing. So you can't really afford to pay rent and pay all the other bills, the utilities, the car insurance, the car payment and all that. So, I mean, it, it took years for me to actually become homeless and, um, I agree with what Lily said. I think there's a lot of pride involved and women veterans are, you know, women are taught to be independent in the military. And so I think that some might, might almost be in denial that they're teetering on the edge of, of becoming homeless. Okay. So Lily, I, that's how I would describe it. Yeah. For me. Lily, is this, uh, these two stories obviously are consistent with the research that you have done and that what you have found. What could you add yeah, to these stories that would help us understand? I, I just want to add how awesome these women are, and I'm so proud of them. They're such great examples of being able to suffer really adverse circumstances but gain some lessons and be able to go out and help others. So just massively proud of them. So glad that they're involved in this project and in this interview. One thing I found, you're welcome. (laughs) Love you guys. You are absolutely awesome. And uh, so, you know, as a person, as a journalist, as a curious individual, now as kind of a social science researcher, when you go into a topic that has almost no research done and you read everything that's out there and then you know a lot of women veterans and you, you know, mine them for their experiences and you see that there are big gaps in how this is handled, you, you have a few assumptions of your own. And I want to talk about what a couple of those are and then what the research showed that was really different. So okay. here are the stories. Homelessness is, for, for civilians as well as military veterans, homelessness is in part a function of life on the margins, not enough resources and, and difficulty. So you would th- and, and you can understand that. Let's say somebody is in the military for less than even a full term, and they turn around and say they've had trouble being homeless, and you think, well, that's really hard. But, yeah, I can understand it because you, you weren't in long enough to get a pension, and you don't necessarily have transferable job skills, and you haven't been through college, so you don't have that advantage. There are some things that are stacked against you. So one of the assumptions I would have made based on lots and lots of conversations with veterans is, I bet it's different if you've been in for 20 years and you retire out of the military. Like, what sort of woman veteran would have trouble being homeless with 20 years of service or more? So when I did this survey and got it out to women veterans of every era and then tabulated the results and spent, you know, almost a year analyzing them, what I found was that there's a percentage of women who have served more than 20 years, let's say one in five, who've been homeless for a year or longer. That is not part of the picture America has, nor would have when they think about this. So what did it take for those people? It took more or less the perfect storm. It took two or three major life situations that were just too much 
and a real lack of support. But the, the fact that it's even possible to me is just really shocking. You would think that duration of service and income would be a protective, would be protective factors for that. Not entirely. So that's definitely one of the things that came out. And okay, I guess I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having a, I, I'm not clear on what you're saying with this. That you're you're saying that you were surprised at the level of homelessness. That is is that what you're saying? Um, among women who had spent 20 to 30 years in the military, and so were retiring with a pension. That is okay. The, all right. That's all right. I optimum situation, right? They're not in for two yeah. or three, and they're like, you know. So that was shocking. And there was another thing like that. When it comes to other phenomenon in the military, like let's say PTSD or let's say suicide, there is sometimes a correlation with the branch of service you were in. And let's say you see more ground combat, so it's more intense, so the problems are higher. That would lead you to believe when you have a choice of which military branch to go into, maybe it's better for homelessness. Right? Like maybe if you try the Air Force or the Coast Guard or the Navy, which potentially see less combat than more infantry-based places like the Army and the Marine Corps, maybe women who went through those would have a better situation, a better outcome. In the survey that we got out and analyzed under IRB approval, no difference. Every branch had a similar pattern, even in terms of the choices of what women did to accommodate homelessness, the biggest one being couch surfing, but they had the same profile. So even the branch you choose doesn't offer any protection. This is more okay. of a common And when you say couch surfing, just so everybody understands, that, that means just crashing on people at, at people's houses, not having your own place, but just crashing from place to place until you have to go to a different place. Yeah, it means doubling up. It means uh, staying with friends and family as opposed to, paying rent in your own apartment, paying a mortgage on a house. You are doubling up with friends and family, usually, although sometimes it's even strangers, because you may run out of options. You may wear out your welcome while you still aren't on your feet yet. Okay. All right. Okay. So um, how? what are the solutions to this? Rosie, how did you... Um, how did you change these circumstances? Well, I talked to a provider at the VA and told her about what was going on in my life and and that I was basically precariously housed, um, as, as they put it. And she was a social worker, and she helped get me into a shelter and get me into transitional housing. Um, so she was able to help me navigate the system. I was a white girl from the suburbs. I had no idea where to find a homeless shelter for women. So uh, the VA was a godsend for me. And then I was homeless for two and a half years and eventually got a housing voucher uh, through the VA called Veteran Affairs Supportive Housing. And that's how I got out of being homeless and, and got housing and uh, until I, like many veterans um, with health issues, 
the VA Benefits Administration can be slow at approving claims, and I waited eight and a half years to get my claim approved. But once once it did get approved, then I was able to be be on my own and not need a housing voucher, be self-sustaining and self-sufficient. Bridget, how did how did you break this cycle? How did where did you get help that was uh, efficient and useful for you? Well, I couch surfed basically a friend um, initially. Um, I stayed with a friend, and in the process of that, uh, the um, VA social worker found out that I was doing that couch surfing, and basically, uh, you know, gave me information about the resources with HUD VASH. I applied, I was denied. I applied again, I was denied, and then I applied again, and I finally got the voucher. And um, uh, in my case. It took about nine months um, total, uh, and but I stayed with a friend, and I and, and I was luckily I, I was able to 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 stay with with a, a friend until uh, with my children. Um, I I lived in her office, and she had a third bedroom, so her office was one bedroom, and then the other room my uh, youngest daughter stayed in, and then my oldest daughter went off to college because uh, I you know I, I personally didn't feel like she should miss her education because, you know, we were going through this particular situation. So uh, so I was juggling that by that point. So, um, you know, it was it was a challenge to uh, go through that experience. It, I did learn a lot. It did make me very angry, and it made me want to advocate for other people. And so, you know, I, I you know, started my nonprofit and started those, pro, you know, the information, as, she, as Lily talked about earlier, about the crowdsourcing, you know, those were the types of things that I understood would help. And I, you know, and I'm always wanting to move other women, whether they're women veteran or, or women just in the community, to not waiting on somebody else to do it for you, doing it for yourself. And so, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, we can rally together and support each other, but ultimately, you know, you, you take, you're going to have to take the initiative. Because I realized there was no one, you know, waiting for me to say, let me help you out of this situation that you're in. It was more of a, like, you know, pulling teeth to get people to get involved. Um, but but once they did get involved, it, it did move. And so I was in HUD-VASH for about three years, <clears throat> and then I was able to I, – I just recently was able to purchase my own, my own home. But you're talking from 2003 to 2016 – Wow. Of being homeless and back and forth, and then renting and then back and forth, and so it was it, it was a challenge. It was a challenge, and even going and testifying before people and talking on uh, you know uh, uh, in service and being in those videos, I was in HUD bash. I wasn't you know in some you know in some great situation. I was at that moment on HUD bash, which most people call Section Eight. But it was, you know, the HUD-VASH program, and I was being subsidized by the government at that time, a veteran, a disabled veteran. So, uh, you know. Lily, uh, thank you, Jet. I want to go to Lily, and I'm looking at the clock going, I can't believe that this, this, we should have had four hours for the show at least. Um, (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> you know what? I'm going to invite you all back. Let, let's let's <laughs> get together. We'll collaborate, and we'll we'll see if we can take a a piece of this and do another show on it. Would you be willing to do that, Rosie and Bridgette and Lily? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Good, 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 yeah, good. And I, I of awesome. course, you know, I mean, Thank I'm you. ignorant. I'm, I'm, I'm reliant upon you. So you guys, let me know what would be the best approach, and and we'll make it happen. Meanwhile, Lily, we've heard the the stories from the the two ladies about the experiences that they've had. You've done the research. How typical is their experience? And what are some re- What can they do? What can women vets do when they find themselves in this situation? Well. Yes, definitely typical, with the added advantage that they're both smart, articulate, heartfelt humans who can talk reasonably about their situation and stay on track, which is <laughs> which is commendable yeah. and not that easy to do when you've gone through a lot of hardship and trauma. That's really actually a major, major accomplishment and a great example for people. So You know, I, um, I'm going to just jump in here for a second to, to uh, reiterate that. I actually was just reading an article earlier this week um, that when women have gone through trauma, especially when they have PTSD, th- when they have a trigger, it impacts the center of the brain that affects speech. So you'll get um, uh, women who are uh, stuttering or who uh, get on a track and can't get off with their speech. It affects their speech. And that serves us terribly when we're trying to communicate well, whether it's in a court or whether it's to aid workers or whomever. So there's an actual neurological connection between PTSD and trauma symptoms and our ability to articulate. I, I was fascinated with that. So, um, wow. That's I, I just wanted to throw that in. There's an actual neurological reason for that. <laughs> can I can I so, say something really quick? Yeah. Sure. This is Rosie. Uh, I, okay. I just wanted to say that a lot of people don't know that the Department of Veteran Affairs actually has a homeless hotline for veterans. So for veterans who are homeless or on the verge of becoming homeless, if they're not linked up with VA services or if, if they are already enrolled but they don't know who to go to for help, the VA has a homeless hotline and that number is one eight seven seven four aid vet, which is one eight seven seven four two four three eight three eight. So I just wanted Thank to throw that, that out there. Gonna, yeah, I appreciate that. Okay, Lily, I jumped on you. I'm sorry about that. Um, how typical are Rosie's and Bridgette's experiences, and what can we do about it? Okay, so very typical with the added addition that they're able to speak about it and help other people, which is fabulous. Um, So they've kind of moved past, you know, just surviving or being victimized to really thriving and being able to share their stories, which is absolutely awesome. Women veterans help one another to get through this, which is great. Um, I think we're way – we still need much more research, and it needs to be intelligently driven research there is a perception out there that homelessness is chronic, and that goes back to that stereotype we have in our minds of people with long-term mental health issues or substance abuse issues, often both, working at the same time. And so there's been a whole trend in America when they talk about let's eradicate homelessness. They're talking about chronic homelessness. 
But homelessness takes many forms, including, because of the life on the margins connection, it's episodic. You're in and out of it. It's a revolving door. And that's one of the questions I wanted to understand when I started looking at this topic with the social science angle is how many times are women veterans becoming homeless? Is it one time and it lasts for years or is it in and out? And it seems to be much more episodic, in and out. Women are able to use a kinship network. They pay into it in a way that men don't, and then they're able to make withdrawals. And so they can stay on somebody's couch or sleep on someone's floor or in their spare room. But after a while, they wear out their welcome and they need to find another place. And they want to stay away from shelters. They want to stay away from living on the street because of the trauma history. It really exposes them to trauma. So there's so much more we could talk about this, but we basically need to blow up the old misconceptions and start all over and listen to women veterans tell their own stories. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, Rosie, any quick final words uh, for for our listeners, whether they have understood this problem before and lived it or whether they're new to to this issue? Well, uh, I'd like to point out that Lily has a survey out there that women veterans could complete and that that will help lead to um, more research. So the people that make policy and make decisions on how to allocate funding and resources can learn more about this issue. Lily, can you tell them about the survey, how to get to it? Yeah. Can we put a link to that on your, on your website? We sure can. Okay, because okay. that'd be great. But if you want to just um, tell people, I know it's hard to. Um, well, you know, yeah, just... it's it's a Bitly link. It's bit. dot ly all lowercase forward slash h w vets for homeless women vets h uh, w v survey numeral two. So this would work out much better as a physical link. Um, it's not. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> it's going to be hard exactly. To um, but I think it's going to be a great survey, and I and I really well, you know, Lily, I you know, I'm I'm all about the research. You know, when we can get the numbers, when we can prove to people, you know, and show them um, a quantity or a, a, you know, that's how people really kind of understand that this isn't just a one you know one person here and one person there so um yay on the survey and i can't wait to discuss that with you you know i i can't believe our hour is up but it is um i often end the show with a quote um i i want to just point out that i really appreciate rosie and brigitte that that you came on the show you're willing to talk about your situations, and I also admire that you've been able to do something about it, you know, not just uh, to to get your own lives together, but to be willing to go out there and help and speak and, and do for others as well. So yay on you guys. Thank you very much. And to Julie, our Seattle caller, thank you thank so you. much for calling in and telling us about your program. Um, the show um, next week is going to be on – whoops, you know what? I have to look at that, don't I? Um <laughs> The show next week is going to be Crystal Park, a researcher, talking about the link between trauma and spirituality. So I'm really looking forward to that one as well. 
Meanwhile, um, thank you to our, our guests for today's show, show Lily uh, Kasira, journalist, Huffington Post. Uh, just Google Lily, and you'll get her, her a lot of her, uh, her um, work that you can see. Thank you very much, Rosie. Thank you very much, Brigitte, for being with us. And um, a quote for today. There's a million quotes about women vets, and I think that the one that I liked best is, I'm a combat boots and dog tags kind of girl. And so here's to all of our combat boots and dog tag kind of girls, and hopefully we can all do stuff to help make your lives better after your service to our country. So thank you so much for being on the show, ladies. We're going to do this again. We're going to do this again. We're going to do this again.